This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast, a podcast with a worldwide listenership that explores the broad world of preservation from every angle, from drones to mudlarking and everything in between. Now, let's get preserving. I've personally always loved the art of Bill Molden. It's honest, real, and sometimes even a little cheeky. In many ways, the art has come to define the GI of World War II and colors our memory of that conflict. That's why when the Pritzker Military Museum and Library, longtime friends of the podcast, approached us about their new exhibit, I felt it was the perfect story for PreserveCast. This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast. Today, we're excited to be joined by James Brundage, who joined the Pritzker Military Museum and Library staff as curator in March of 2019. Um, and we're going to be talking all about a new exhibit um, chronicling the work and life of World War II artist and artist beyond, Bill Malden, um, and that's going to be uh, at the Pritzker Military Museum and Library. Um, but before we do that, um, like always, we like to get to know our guests. So, um, James, where did you grow up? Um, when did you get interested in, in this line of work? And I, I suppose sort of the, one of the newer questions we've been asking is, what was your sort of spark um, that got you um, headed down this line? Well, thank you for having me. First off, um, excited to be here. Talk, uh, you know, about the exhibit and uh, talk about Bill Malden. Uh, any excuse I can talk about him in the exhibit, uh, I will take. Um, I grew up in Connecticut, um, small town of Connecticut, and uh, I actually joined the Marine Corps at 18. Uh, served as an infantryman for four years, and then um, I got out of the military and I went home to Connecticut. So. Um, for me, that, that's kind of one of the reasons that I got interested in history uh, was my own military service, uh, you know, family history as well. But for me, I think being in the military and um, ex- sort of experiencing history firsthand and recognizing consciously at some point that I was sort of taking part in history um, kind of sparked an interest in, you know, what goes into history and, um, you know, really looking at how average people like myself kind of play a role in history. Um, so that, that's how I got interested in history. Um, I attended the University of Connecticut when I returned home, got a bachelor's degree in history, and then um, continued and got a master's degree in North American history at the University of Connecticut as well. So that was sort of my, um, my start, so to speak. But um, I guess, yeah, it was the military that got me interested in the history. And then from there, I um, volunteered and um, did a number of internships at local uh, historical societies and museums around the state. And that kind of furthered, um, furthered my desire to continue, you know, in a career in history, find a career in history. Um, that's the sort of, for me, I guess that would be the spark, um, you know, actually working with museum artifacts, um, you know, researching historical collections really got me, you know, I sort of went down the rabbit hole of historical research and I don't think I've come back out from it. Um, so that, that would be my spark, I guess I would say, um, you know, I really, really enjoyed that kind of work and um, that's what pushed me to, to search out a career uh, in public history primarily. So, I mean, I, I was going to ask what your first job was in the field and I guess it depends on how you define the field and what history was. I mean, um, sure. you know, reading your bio, which is in the show notes here. I mean, you served with, with distinction in the Marines and or was at Ramadi. And um, I mean, that you, you are part of history, right? So, so I suppose maybe the, your first job in the field when it comes to history was making some history. Um, but 
where was the first uh i guess the was it was it the i know you came to pritzker from the barack obama presidential library was that your first sort of like full-time gig in the field or were, were you somewhere else before that no i think um maybe like a lot of people uh in this field I, I've, I've jumped around a little bit uh you know from job to job looking for something that you know really um the, the, the career path that I was looking for. My first job back in Connecticut was actually working at the Harriet Beecher Stowe Center in Hartford. Um, I started there as a historic interpreter, giving tours of the home, the historic home, you know, talking about Harriet Beecher Stowe and um, her life. And so I think that encouraged me, you know, even further uh, being able to work with the public, you know, speak directly to the public about an individual, about history, um, you know, that was, that was a great experience. Um, so you could say that was my first, uh, sort of true history job. I worked there. Um, and then I also worked at the, uh, I've worked a number of places, but, um, the James A. Garfield National Historic Site in Ohio, um, which was a great job as well, the National Park Service, which I uh, thoroughly enjoyed. And then I've also worked, uh, here in Chicago at the Chicago History Museum as well. So, um, a number of different, uh, locations, all either in uh, a level of collection management or curatorial work. So let's talk about, about your favorite guy here. You've, um, you know, I read one, one historian when he got the end, to the end of a biography that he had written about a Civil War general, said he almost felt like he was going to cry because it was like he had kind of had to put him to rest then. Mm. Um, and it, it seems like, you know, before we, we even jumped on, you're like, I could talk about Bill Malden forever, um, which is great. I mean, that's the kind of passion you want, right? You don't want someone to be like, oh, gosh, if I have to talk about this guy one more time, right? <laughs> um, so let's talk about Bill Malden. And people are probably familiar, even if they're not familiar with World War II art and, you know, things like that, they've probably seen Malden or Malden-esque um, drawings. I mean, it's, like, it's almost like a whole style, um, you know. Um, but uh, who was he? Where did he grow up? Um, where was he trained in art? And then maybe we'll talk a little, well, we will talk about, you know, so sort of what he did and what his style was and everything. Yeah, sure. Um, and yeah, you know, you you research someone long enough and you look at their their work and, you know, the their careers work and you really do get a sense of who they are and, um, you know, the, the completion of the exhibit was kind of like you mentioned, bittersweet, you know, it, it's come to an end in a way. Um, but it's great now because I get to do this. I get to talk more about him, you know, talk to the public about him and, and you know, uh, spread, you know, what he was about across the country. So that's great too. Um, yeah. So who, who was Bill Malden? Um, you know, at, at his core, he was a cartoonist. He was an editorial and, and military cartoonist. Uh, that's what he always wanted to be. He's, uh, from New Mexico, Mountain Park, New Mexico, grew up in the Southwest. Um, him and his family kind of jumped around the Southwest quite a bit when he was growing up. He was born in 1921. So, um, you know, he was, he was young during the depression. His family suffered through the, de through the depression. And um, actually as a teenager, him and his older brother basically left their home and um, went out on their own. They, they went to Phoenix. They went to high school, had odd jobs. And, um, you know, it was in Phoenix that Bill really sort of uh, realized his passion. He wanted to become a cartoonist. So, you know, he's this teenage kid and he's looking for ways to become a professional cartoonist, which uh, during the, the Depression seems like maybe that would have been an odd, odd career choice wanting to do. But uh, he had read somewhere in a, I think it was a popular mechanics at the time that, you know, cartoonists could make $100,000 a year, you know, drawing and 
And that sound, you know, that to him was, was everything. That's what he wanted to do. Um, so, you know, he always had that kind of passion and drive to become a cartoonist. Um, he had a natural talent to draw was, you know, he remarked that he was drawing before he could walk or talk. So, um, you know, he, and he really did have, um, you know, quite a bit of talent. He, uh, he actually, his first sort of education in art came via a, a correspondence course that he, you know, wrote away, sent $5 for. And um, so, you know, he'd send the cartoons off, they'd send them back with comments, things like that. Um, but that obviously was, was not enough for him. And uh, he actually, after high school, convinced his grandparents to fund a year for him to come here to Chicago. And he attended the Chicago Academy of Fine Arts for a year. Um, that, that was really his, his formal education. Um, you know, he learned form, motion. Uh, he took cartooning classes, uh, layout courses, basically uh, everything he would eventually uh, kind of, you know, say later on really helped him develop his style and, you know, uh, promote the career that he'd eventually have. So. Um, I think without that year here in Chicago, he probably would not have um, maybe been as successful as, as he later was. So he goes on to do, I mean, some pretty impressive combat art. Um, and that, that may be something that many listeners aren't familiar with. So was Malden unique in this? Has there been a long tradition? Do you, I mean, we're going to talk about the exhibit, but is that something that you get into in this idea of, combat art it almost it almost seems like it's an oxymoron right like you're in combat and then you have the time to sit down and do something that's sort of this higher level thing it's like combat poetry or something like that but um is this a tradition that has gone on for a long period how do you how do you kind of put Malden in the context of of this tradition yeah um Malden was not the first military cartoonist he certainly uh is not has not been the last either um Cartooning and, and illustration in, in combat has gone back several hundred years. Um, I think the the big difference between you know what he does and what previous generations and previous artists had done um, is that he has more of a, a mass medium through newspapers to spread his cartoons to get his his pieces out there uh, to the other soldiers and eventually to you know back to the American home front. Um, but uh, you know he's coming on the heels of uh, in World War One, there was a very famous uh, British cartoonist, uh, Captain Bruce uh, Barnesfather, who was very well known for his sort of, um, you know, gallow humor style cartooning that he did in the trenches. Um, there were Civil War cartoonists who, who drew the battlefields uh, of America. So, you know, Malden is not unique in being a, you know, combat artist or a combat cartoonist. Um, I think he just may have become one of the most famous uh, because of what he did during World War II. Um, you know, the fact that he wins a Pulitzer in 1945 for his work cartooning and, and uh, illustrating the war, I think, you know, adds to that. Um, but he's certainly not um, unique. I mean, there were other cartoonists working in World War II. You know, he wasn't the only one uh, drawing cartoons. So, um, you know, even among, he may have been the most famous, but um, you know, this is a, a tradition that has uh, that preceded him and that certainly has followed him. Uh, there were combat cartoonists in Korea, Vietnam, um, and there are many, you know, from the last 20 years in the global war on terror. There's been uh, quite a few cartoonists as well. 
So where did he create the art? So is this being done in the field? Was he with troops? Was he enlisted in the military? He's he's not like a he's not like a, a reporter. He's not um, you know Ernie Pyle. Um, he is, and for those I guess who aren't familiar, Ernie Pyle is a, a famous World War II correspondent. Um, but what is what is Malden's relationship with the military, and where um, where does he create this art? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so Malden enlisted. So when he leaves Chicago um, in 1940, he returns back to Arizona and almost immediately he joins the Arizona National Guard in September 1940. So, you know, the U.S. is still a good year, year off uh, from joining World War II. Um, but Malden is, again, he's, he's poor. He has no money. He's, he's submitting cartoons for publication, trying to make some money, but uh, not not doing a terribly a great job at this moment. And so the military is a, is a good job opportunity for him. And uh, he quickly realizes that he finds an outlet for his cartoons in the National Guard. Um, his unit is activated as a part of the 45th Division uh, very shortly after he joins. And he quickly finds his way onto the staff of the 45th Division News, which was the division newspaper. And uh, he starts publishing his cartoons in the paper. He basically, you know, he was doing drawings for other soldiers and um, his work got noticed. And they said, hey, you know, why don't you, why don't you draw a cartoon for the, for the paper? So um, by the time the division goes overseas to North Africa in 1943, Malden's been cartooning for almost three years for the newspaper. Um, so by this point, he's, you know, he's drawing this a lot of the same kind of scenarios that he'll draw during the war. You know, he's illustrating what he sees uh, up to that point. It's it's camp life, it's training, various maneuvers um, that the division is participating in, and it's a lot of you know gag humor. Um, you know, that they're, they're not overseas, they're not in combat yet, so it's a lot of it's kind of silly stuff. But um, you know, it's representative of of what these soldiers are experiencing. Um, so by the time uh, the forty fifth division takes part in the invasion of Sicily in 1943. You know, Malden's uh, pretty well established um, in the newspaper, you know, drawing these cartoons. And uh, when the division uh, goes into Italy, his job is that of a combat cartoonist, essentially. You know, he's uh, essentially, a, a, he, he would maybe call himself a journalist, um, but he was essentially a, uh, a correspondent at that point, you know. He was just using uh, illustrations to get his message out there. And uh, in order to do that, you know, he's, he's working with some pretty um, impromptu materials. You know, he's essentially scrounging for, um, for zinc, for copper, um, for acid to get his drawings etched uh, so that they can print them. And he's kind of going around and uh, just scrounging this material wherever he can find it. Um, so, Ultimately, what happens when he goes overseas is um, he follows the division around. So, you know, the units, um, they're fighting and Malden will try and sort of tag along as much as he can. Uh, he wants to witness what the frontline soldiers are witnessing. He wants to experience what they're experiencing. And then, you know, he goes, he will go back into the rear and he'll start illustrating what he sees. Um, so he, he tended to have a uh, a sort of routine of spending a few days at the front um, with the soldiers uh, in the infantry companies. And then he would go back 
um, to headquarters. He would drop some cartoons that would get published over the course of a week and, and he'd go back out and do it again. Um, so he was kind of drawing everywhere. Um, he was you know, sketching on the front lines, finishing the cartoons in the rear. And then in the instances that he was, um, you know, uh, sometimes finding himself away from, uh, from his divisional headquarters or the, the newspaper's headquarters, that's where he was kind of scrounging for materials uh, to try and get his works published. And I guess this would be sort of in the weeds, but was he armed? Would he have been armed when he's in the field? Was he ever engaged in combat? Yeah, he was, he was always armed. Um, you know, I think from his own, his own, you know, memoirs, he, he tried to avoid it where possible, I think, you know, um, but that wasn't always possible. You know, he, he has lots of anecdotes about um, various scenarios he found himself in, but I, I don't think he ever found himself uh, firing on German soldiers, uh, you know, on the, on the Germans in Italy or the Italians. Um, he was more focused on his task of, you know, getting good material for his illustrations. Um, but Malden, uh, he was wounded in late 1943. Um, he, on one of his trips to the front, he was uh, with an infantry company uh, in the mountains of Italy. And um, on his way down the mountain, going back to his headquarters, a German mortar shell fell within a few feet of him. Uh, he was with a chaplain at the time. And um, they were both wounded, the chaplain more seriously than Bill was. He took some shrapnel on his shoulder. And um, that actually l- lent a level of credibility to his work. You know, the fact that here's a guy who is out there, he's out with the troops, you know, he is drawing from experience. And the fact that he was wounded, you know, really did lend a level of credibility to the fact that, you know, Malden is out there with these guys. So um, speaking of the credibility and his guys it leads to something I want to ask you about is what did the GIs think of Malden? Now that's a, that's a big question, right? Because there's just as you were a Marine and you know, you probably had an opinion about certain things and then you ask any other Marine, they're going to have a different opinion. So I, I understand you can't answer on behalf of all GIs, but, but what is the, the response that he gets? I mean, like, like an Ernie Pyle, I go back to Pyle he was, I mean, he was beloved, right? And it was like, they, they lost a friend when Ernie died in combat, even though he wasn't armed. Um, it seems like there's that similar sense and that Malden brought a level of authenticity to their experience that otherwise couldn't be conveyed, particularly with censorship and things like that. Um, but what, what do the GIs say about him? Yeah, um, and you know, speaking to the idea that you can't speak for everyone, I think that's a, a fairly good representation of what people thought about him. Um, but for the most part, I think everybody appreciated what he did um, because of the fact that he was he was trying to um, you know bring a level of realism to his cartoons to show the sort of gritty reality of what these guys were going through. Um, you know, Malden was was all about making sure that his cartoons reflected you know the true. Um, lived experiences of infantrymen, you know, especially in Italy where his division was and, and where he spent a good portion of the war. Um, and I think generally, you know, from, from what I've seen, um, you know, there's always, um, when Malden joined the Stars and Stripes in early 1944, there was a, a mail call section of that. And soldiers would often write in uh, to Stars and Stripes and they would often write about Malden um, and what his cartoons meant and the fact that you know, these were great cartoons, um, you know, they truly were spot on, 
you know, that they often represented exact scenarios that, you know, some of these guys found themselves in fighting. And so I think the, the general consensus was that Malden truly was, um, you know, illustrating their experiences and, and, and adding a level of humor to it that these guys could uh, sort of relate to and um, that, that they, they understood, you know, that sort of dark humor that uh, pervades combat at times. And um, so I think for the most part, guys really respected what he did. Um, there were those who did um, say to him, basically, you know, you're not one of us, you're not up here fighting on the front lines with us. And, you know, what you're doing is, you know, while it's fun, it's not representative of what we're going through, which is why, you know, in bringing up the story about the Purple Heart, it, it does kind of help lend a level of credibility to his cartoons um, because it, it, you know, it proved he was uh, up there and he did go out, visit with these guys and, and experience what they experienced. Um, but at one point in the war, his cartoons were um, under the headline up front with Bill Malden. Um, and he actually changed it to um, up front by Bill Malden because of some of the criticisms, um, mm. just because of the fact that there were those who thought, you know, this guy's not really uh, up front the whole time. You know, he's, he's just sort of, uh, he was um, criticized for being sort of a, a frontline tourist at times. Interesting. So, um, you know, I, I, we're going to take a break here in a second and then come back and talk about the exhibit itself and how the exhibit explores this and everything. But a lot, I guess, maybe to a fault, a lot of the interest about Malden is World War II, but he yeah. doesn't just, in 1945, he doesn't just fade away. In fact, he keeps doing really, in some cases, kind of like blistering, um, very like political cartoons about different things. There's a great one, I think, in the exhibit where it's um, George H.W. Bush opening up the can of worms um, in in the Middle East, which, you know, you, you got to step in some of those worms, you know, 15, 20 years later. Yeah. Um, and so he was spot on with some of this stuff. So he, what is he, I mean, I, you know, we don't have time to go into every aspect of him in after world war two, world war two obviously is a seminal moment for him, but where does he go after that? Is he employed professionally as a cartoonist then permanently? Yeah. Um, so it's not always, he doesn't always um, continue on as a cartoonist actually. So uh, he, the war ends, he gets out of the army, um, almost sort of the first chance he can get. Um, but he does continue cartooning after the war. He does um, quite a bit of cartoons for a few years, essentially uh, talking about, you know, the homecoming veterans returning home um, to the home front after the war. He uses his characters, Willie and Joe, to illustrate what a lot of the, you know, GIs would have experienced when they came home, you know, from domestic issues to reintegrating to American society. You know, the same things that, uh, you know, all veterans when they return home uh, essentially have to go through. You know, he was illustrating that through his characters, William Joe. He does take a hiatus from cartooning um, in the late 1940s. Um, he'll return. He actually goes to Korea as a war correspondent in uh, late 1941, early 19, uh, or excuse me. He goes to Korea as a correspondent in uh, late 1951, early 1952. Uh, for Collier's Magazine. And then um, he doesn't really take up professional cartooning again until 1958 when he joins the St. Louis Post-Dispatch as the editorial cartoonist. He's there for four years, um, is awarded a second Pulitzer Prize for cartooning while he's there. 
And then in 1962, he joins the Chicago Sun-Times, uh, where he will continue to work until 1991 when he retires. So, um, yeah, he has an extremely long uh, cartooning career. And, um, you know, much of it is spent as a political cartoonist. But he never really gives up that military cartoonist mindset. Um, you know, he focuses heavily on military topics throughout his career. You know, um, there's hundreds of cartoons he does over the course of the Vietnam War as well. Um, so, you know, the military and depicting military and foreign military um, situations are is something that he will continue to go back to throughout his career. So let's take a quick break here and we come back. Let's talk about the exhibit that you put together, um, what people can expect to find when they go to the Pritzker. And we'll do that right here on PreserveCast. Today's episode of PreserveCast is once again sponsored by McDo Preservation. McDo Preservation specializes in best practice research and analysis for nonprofit and government clients. To learn more about McDo's data-driven, community-driven approach and commitment to equity, visit mcdo.com. That's M-C-D-O-U-X dot com. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast today. We're thrilled to be talking with James Brundage, who is the curator at the Pritzker Military Museum and Library in Chicago, Illinois. Um, and before um, we took our break, we were talking all about Bill Molden, his life, his pursuit of art, his work in the field during World War II, and um, where that work took him um, after the e-day um and um you know obviously you've done a ton of research on malden and put together this exhibit that tells his story at the pritzker so how'd you decide what to display why malden um and what can people expect when they go and visit this um, new exhibit sure um yeah well <laughs> how do i pick what goes in the exhibit i mean um it was a struggle our collection here we have over 5,000 of his original drawings were the largest repository of Bill Malden's artwork anywhere in the country. Um, we have archival, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we have archival material, photographs, um, artifacts from his career. So we have, you know, an array of materials which um, we've acquired over the last several years. And um, we've acquired through generous donations from the Malden family themselves. So we've been able to you know, really compile this impressive collection of materials. So to narrow it down to try and, you know, present his life in a narrative that kind of tells the story of who he is, what was important to him and, and why he did what he did through his career um, was not the easiest task. Uh, <laughs> there's about 200 items in the collection, uh, in the exhibit itself. Um, about 140 original pieces of artwork, um, along with assorted archival material, artifacts, and things like that. And, you know, to break that down, I, um, you know, essentially looked at, you know, what is Bill Malden all about? You know, what is, uh, what was important to him throughout his career and what really defines, um, you know, who he was as a cartoonist. And so, as we've been talking about there, there is certainly a portion of the exhibit uh, about his early childhood, um, his time here in Chicago, you know, his, his early cartooning career in the Arizona national guard with the 45th division. And then uh, that leads into his, his wartime work with Willie and Joe 
and illustrating, you know, the experiences of, of infantrymen during the war. And then from there, um, you know, I really wanted to um, highlight the fact that Malden doesn't just stop drawing military cartoons. He doesn't stop trying to highlight and, um, you know, talk about the experiences of, of those in the military. Like I mentioned, he goes to Korea. Um, he illustrates, you know, what these guys are going through. Um, you know, he tries to kind of relate it to his own uh, wartime service in Italy. You know, he can he can certainly relate to the mountainous regions uh, of Korea that he saw in Italy. Um, but you know, he writes home that it, it's far more difficult than what he what they saw in World War II from his experience. Um, and he, you know, he wanted to highlight that to the American public again. You know that what these guys going are going through is, is difficult. Um, and, and he always wanted to present it from their viewpoint, you know, from the view of, of the fighting man. Um, the same goes with Vietnam, uh, during the Vietnam war, you know, he will draw from those, draw from his own experiences, um, and try and essentially imagine, you know, what these guys are going through in Vietnam. Uh, he, he also goes to Vietnam in 1965. His son is actually a helicopter pilot serving, uh, in, in country at the time. So. Um, you know, he does get to experience a little bit of, of what's going on in Vietnam. And, um, you know, he, his goal is always to try and uh, present an accurate depiction of, of what's going on in, in America's wars. Um, and I think that's something that he takes with him from his own experiences is that he wants to make sure that people understand not, not just from the broad uh, overview of war and what you see on the news, but to try and give an, an understanding of, you know, what, what's the, the young infantryman on the front lines, who's probably scared, who's wet, miserable, you know, eating bad food, you know, what, what's their take on this war. Um, and of course he always did it with, with his sort of signature humor, um, you know, just single panel cartoon. And um, you know, that was, I think something that was very important to him. And so, you know, I highlight the fact that he doesn't just stop after world war II uh, but that he continues through. And uh, he even drew cartoons of Soviet soldiers in Afghanistan, um, Israeli and Arab soldiers during um, some of the conflicts in the Middle East, the Six Day War, Yom Kippur War, things like that. So it wasn't just Americans, you know, he's, he's highlighting um, other military engagements as well. And, and what role do the, do the descendants have in this? I'm curious. So you, you kind of mentioned that the descendants are, are obviously very proud of him and, and have donated... Um, a considerable amount of work to the Pritzker, but um, did they have sort of an advisory role in putting pulling this all together? Um, not too much of an advisory role. Um, you know, they were certainly influential and extremely helpful um, through the donations that they've made. Uh, you know, th they really wanted this collection as much as possible to be located in, in one location so that it would be um, easily accessible by researchers, you know, people who are interested in his work and, and because of our ability, you know, to exhibit it, that we would be able to do something like this and really highlight his work and, uh, you know, tell his story to, to a public who maybe is unfamiliar with Malden's work. Um, but, you know, they were certainly uh, very helpful in giving insight into him. You know, um, we worked with a number of, of his uh, children. Uh, Malden had eight children uh, seven sons and a daughter. So, um, you know, we worked with a few of them, um, you know, they were able to, to give us, you know, background, tell us, 
you know, unique stories that otherwise we would not have probably uh, known about. Um, and they're able to give us some context behind some of his cartoons and, you know, what, what his sort of, um, what his thought process, you know, what his politics were, things like that, that kind of help, um, help me dictate, you know, some of the pieces to include in the exhibit, um, especially after, you know, one of his sons tells me that this is one of his favorite pieces or, you know, that he always talked about, you know, that this, this represented, you know, what he was thinking at a certain time or, you know, what, what he hoped to accomplish through his cartoon. So, um, you know, that they, they were influential in that sense and really kind of helping to give a little bit of um, background and context to cartoons that really wouldn't have existed anywhere else. I'm just curious, are there any other um, Malden sites or places protected or preserved associated with him? Um, not really. Um, what I would say probably most sort of constitutes something like that is the 45th Division Museum in Oklahoma City. They have uh, the largest collection of his World War II materials, original artworks from World War II. Um, that's in Oklahoma City. And then uh, Malden donated um, quite a bit of his materials to the Library of Congress in the 70s as well. So they have um, uh, maybe 1,500 to 2,000 original drawings as well. Um, they have some of his arch archival material. Um, but those, those are really the two um, other sort of sites that would be, I would say, associated with Malden. Um, Otherwise, yeah, I can't really say there's there's too many like sites or, or anything like that associated with them. So what's next for you? So this is a big exhibit. This is a lot of work. Uh, how long is it up for? And then what are you working on next? Because there's always something next, right? Yeah, there's always something next. <laughs> always got to be working on that next project. Um, so uh, the exhibit runs through next spring. So it'll be up from for a year. Uh, we opened May 14th and we'll be up through... Uh, about the 1st of May next year, uh, give or take. And after this exhibit, we are working uh, right now on an exhibit about um, prisoner of war experience. So we have um, numerous collections here on site um, from prisoners of war, from the Civil War uh, through World War II. And um, we have uh, oral histories that we've done with uh, Vietnam prisoners of war. So we're going to be working on that next. Um, so that will be coming uh, probably next May, early June, 2022. And um, yeah, the, but the Malden exhibit, we're open now. Um, the, the museum and library is open um, Tuesday through Sunday, 10 to four. Yeah. And I was going to say for people who want to know more about the exhibit, they want to find you, they want to find the Pritzker um where can they do all of that? We'll make sure that these links are in the show notes as well for folks. Yeah, of course. Um, so, so we're at uh, PritzkerMilitary.org. Um, there's, we've got a, a landing page for the exhibit there that you can uh, see a little bit more, see some images of the exhibit, um, see some of the items that are in the exhibit online. Uh, and that'll give you a little bit more of a sense uh, about what you'll see. Um, but yeah, we're, we're open. Um, Tuesday through Sunday, 10 to four, we're at 104 South Michigan Ave in Chicago. So essentially right across from the Art Institute of Chicago. Yeah, you can't miss it. No. Kind of like right there in the middle of all of it. Yeah, um, we're, yeah we're right downtown. Um, you can see, you know, up on the windows, we've got all the, um, we've got Pritzker Military Museum Library up there and 
uh, we've got the drawn to combat Bill Malden and the art of war up there as well. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Last question we asked, normally most que- most difficult question for somebody who works in history, preservation. Um, what's your favorite historic place or site? Yeah, I had to think about that one a little bit. Um, honestly, I think one of my favorite spots is is actually the the James Garfield National Historic Site where I worked in uh, Mentor, Ohio. It's um, you know it's a beautiful home, uh, President Garfield's uh, home before he was president, and then um, during his campaign, and, and then when he became president. Um, you know, it's beautifully preserved. It's much of the household is original, original furnishings, his library. Um, you know, it's just a beautiful place. And, um, there's a great staff there. Uh, the national park is, you know, they've got great people running the site and, um, it's a beautiful museum as well. Well, that's a a first. We haven't had that one before, so that's always good. And, uh, this was great. Um, so interesting to hear about this and we'll have to have you back to talk about the, uh, prisoner of war exhibit um, when that goes live next year. So thanks so much, James. We appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for having me. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's story, head over to preservecast.org for show notes and our collection of previous episodes. Don't forget to engage with this podcast by subscribing, commenting, and leaving a review. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PreserveCast for even more. PreserveCast is currently recorded in Walkersville, Maryland, and sponsored by the 1772 Foundation, and powered by Preservation Maryland. Thanks for listening, and keep on preserving.